All right, for our communion challenge this morning, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, normally you would go to chapter 11 with a communion challenge, uh, but we're going to continue our series into two verses, just two verses uh, this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, as you're turning there, I'll just remind you that in chapters 12 through 14, Paul is answering or giving answers to questions the Corinthians believers had asked him about spiritual gifts. It asked him perhaps a whole host of questions in a letter. And so the first thing that Paul does is he lays out a theology of spiritual gifts. Matter of fact, in my Bible, I've written that next to chapter 12 in the margin, a theology of spiritual gifts. And he's got some uh, relatively deep or complex con concepts to give to the Corinthians that will be very important if they're going to use their gifts in the right way. If you look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, you can see a verse that I suggested presents a heading for the theology of the gifts. So you look at the first part of that verse, to each is given. Paul is going to give a, an extended discussion of the extent of the spiritual gifts throughout this section. And then you read the next phrase, the manifestation of the Spirit. He talks about the fact that spiritual gifts come from, or they're manifested from, the Spirit of God throughout the text. And then the very end of verse 7, for the common good, the third aspect of a theology of gifts that Paul will talk about is the whole purpose for spiritual gifts. Why did God give each believer upon their conversion a gift? And the answer is, for the common good. As we turn to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, Paul is going to, from, from verse 12, the whole way through the end of the chapter, he's going to give us more information about the purpose of the gifts. The purpose of the gifts that have been given to believers, and the way he does this is he uses an illustration. So if you're a visual learner this morning, okay, this would be helpful for you. He gives us all an illustration to help us capture what the purpose of the gifts is. And the illustration that he uses, you can see repeatedly throughout here. Look at verses 12 through 14. I'll read through them and look for a word that's used five times. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one drink. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. There are five times you see the word body. And in the next section, in verse 27, when he starts the very last paragraph in this section, he returns to it again. Now the body has many members. And so Paul's trying to emphasize something about the purpose of spiritual gifts by using a metaphor or an illustration of physical bodies. Uh, now this is an excellent illustration for Paul to use, or for the Holy Spirit to use, because it involves individual members being drawn together for a common purpose. The way we would normally say it about our bodies is individual parts, bodily parts, being drawn together for a common purpose. And the common purpose is the health of the whole body. And so Paul is going to use this illustration. Uh, and the illustration of the body is not a collection of individual parts, but it's a, 
a union of all of the parts working together for the health of the body. Now, this past week, uh, one of my children, uh, my son Andrew, had an experience in football. He's playing football for the first time this year. And uh, he was in practice, and uh, in one of the practices, his, he jammed his finger on the ground. And, I mean, it was nasty, nasty looking, started to swell up and so on. My son Andrew learned a valuable lesson this week, and that is when even one little part of your body suffers, the whole body suffers. And so to watch him throughout the week, you know, as he tried to do just even menial tasks, it was really difficult for him. He, he somehow managed to keep eating, you know, that's what teenage boys uh, do well. You know, you have to revert to your right hand or something there. But, uh, but he learned this lesson that each member of the body is important. Well, that's one illustration. That's one application you can make from the body. Paul will, will make applications like that throughout here, that each member of our church is important for the health of the church. Uh, but he's going to be doing other things with the illustration of the body as well. Uh, although I've been here for over a year now, I think it was this last week where I saw the greatest demonstrations of individual members in our church working for the health of the common body, the health of the whole, the health of the church. Uh, This week I got to see uh, people use their gifts in hospitals, gifts of hospitality, kindness, and graciousness to minister to people who were struggling. It was a joy to me to see that as a pastor. I got to see people use their gifts of generosity this week, and and amazing gifts. I I could just, you know, if I, I don't want to embarrass anyone other than my son, you know, Uh, you know, I, I, could go, I could go through. I mean, I even ex- I experienced gifts of generosity this week. They're just uh, amazing demonstrations of the goodness that God is working in our body. Yesterday, I got to see many different people manifest their gifts uh, in this counseling uh, thing that we've been doing the last two days. I saw people uh, serving, organizing, structuring, helping, serving, praying together, uh, encouraging, counseling each other. And so I have a lot to be thankful for as a pastor of Colonial Baptist Church. But I want to suggest that if we can really get this concept of this illustration of the body and what Paul's intending with it, this church would go to a whole new level. If our individual members of this body would determine to use their gifts well, it would be amazing what the Lord would do here. So as I want to look at verses 12 and 13 this morning, as we look at the body metaphor, I think Paul demonstrates that the purpose of spiritual gifts, the greater health of the church, will only be accomplished through, because of three foundational realities or truths. In other words, what I think he's doing is he's using this body illustration to remind the Corinthians and us about three foundational ideas. Unity, that's one reason he's talking about the body, it's a unified whole. Interdependence, all the members working together and depending upon each other, and then he's going to get to love by the end of this section. So this morning we only look at one of those, verses 12 and 13. First, the body illustration portrays the foundational unity that all believers experience in Jesus Christ. So as I look at verses 12 and 13 with you this morning, I'll I'll kind of work through it in three phases. The first part of verse 12, I think Paul lays out a general guiding principle that he's going to relate to in this text. Look at verse 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. That's the principle. 
That's the governing principle. And he's using the body illustration here to make this point. The point is, many bodily members make up one body. That's the principle. Many bodily members or bodily parts make up one body. The body is a unified organism. So he's going to use the illustration of our physical bodies. But then at the end of verse 12, you see that he's not just going to be talking about our physical bodies. He takes that principle and he makes an application. When he says, so also is Christ. Okay, that's the application he's going to be making. Now, we might think, from what we know the Bible, that Paul would say something like this. So also is the church. Right? It's like how bodily, the body is bodily parts make up one whole. So also is the church. Many members make up one. But when Paul says, so also is Christ, that's another way of saying so also is the church. It's just like shorthand for the church. And later on in the text, in verse 27, he makes it more explicit that he's talking about the church is the body of Christ. In verse 27. So this is the principle. As the body has many parts, physical bodies... They all make up one body. The same is true of Christ. It's true of the church. Many members coming together to make up one body. That leads to verse 13. And the final point we'll make will take a little bit longer. And that is Paul will make some explanations of how or why that is true. How could this be true? That God would take many parts, many individuals, and make up one body together. How is that foundationally true? If you look down in verse 13... It's true because of two realities that Paul makes in verse 13. It's right at the beginning of the verse and at the end of the verse. Okay, so if you look at verse 13, the beginning of the verse, he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. How could it be possible that all of us would be members of one body? Well, the Spirit, in the Spirit, we are baptized into one body. And then the second explanation he'll give that I'll make at the very end of the sermon is the end of that verse. And and we were all, all of us, all believers, were made to drink of one Spirit. How How could we be one unified body? We all drank the same thing. Okay. But uh, verse 13 is a little bit uh, difficult to understand, and so I'm glad I'm only covering two verses uh, this morning because this is an important verse uh, in a theology of the spiritual gifts. So as we look at verse 13, the beginning of it, Paul's saying, first of all, we are unified because in one spirit we all were baptized into one body. See that part of the phrase? Now, we're text people here, right? That, does that part of the text just like, is it like easy for you to understand? You got this, right? In one body, we're all, or in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. What does that mean? I want to take a little bit of time to talk about that phrase and what's going on in this text. Uh, you'll notice at the beginning of that phrase, uh, Paul references the spirit for in one spirit. I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he'll, he'll, he'll use the concept of baptized. The thing that Paul's addressing here in this part of the, the text is something that theologians would call, or Bible students would call, spirit baptism. Okay? But we need to ask a few questions about spirit baptism if we're going to understand 
verse 13 here. The first question I want to answer for you is, what is spiritual baptism? Okay, I'm not going to assume that all of you are like, you know, A++ students and you got this down. Okay, but this is an important doctrine, it's an important point. What is spirit baptism? Well, spirit baptism involves an act of the Holy Spirit whereby he places, another way of saying places is he immerses or dips a believer into the body of Christ or into the church. So notice again what the text says. Look at verse 13 again. Sometimes when I don't understand a text, I'll just keep reading it over and over again. And uh, if you ever see me running my finger over it, you know, I'm really struggling. (laughs) Okay, but look at verse 13. For in one spirit... In or by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. The body that Paul has in mind here is the church. So spirit baptism describes the time when the Holy Spirit places individual believers into the body, into the church. Okay, that's what spirit baptism is. Now, that should lead to a second question in your mind. When does that happen? You said it was a time when are believers dipped, immersed, or placed into the church? That question, I think, is also important. When does the Holy Spirit place believers into the church? Uh, One scholar, I think, is helpful here. His name is Robert Thomas. Let me just read what he says about this. He said, including himself uh, with, his, uh, with his readers, Paul, by this statement, marks the divine action whereby all Christians, listen to what he says here, at the moment of conversion become parts of the body of Christ. And uh, I think Thomas's view or statement here is very reasonable when you study the Old and the New Testament, especially the New Testament scriptures. That the time this occurs for us is when believers are placed into the body of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit places individual believers into the church when they're converted or saved. Might do a study of the book of Acts this week and go through and look for different blessing statements found in the book of Acts. And these will often read like this. So many people believed and they were added to the church. They're added to the church. So what the New Testament seems to teach, in line with what I think Robert Thomas is saying here, is that spirit baptism is when the spirit places believers, individual believers, into the church, and that occurs at salvation or when we are converted. That occurs when someone trusts Christ, turns from their sins, and trust Christ. You might be here this morning and uh, you might not recognize the fact that the Bible simply declares that all people are born in trespasses and sins. The Bible's clear as well that there is no perfect person on the planet. I like to always quote sections of Romans to describe this. It says, for, uh, it says in Romans, for all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Every single person. We're all sinners. And there's even worse news. 
The worst news is that as sinners, we, uh, we are separated from a holy God. A God who cannot tolerate even one sin in his perfection. And so because of our sin and the sin of the original man and woman in the garden, we are separated from God. We can't have fellowship with him. We can't enjoy relationship with him. And the scriptures go even further in declaring our case when it says that Jesus will send forth angels. This is in the book of Gospel of Matthew. He will send forth angels and they'll gather those people offend and sin and, and they will cast them into a lake of fire where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, like, the bad news is we're all sinners in the room. The even worse news is because of our sin, we're sentenced to a place called hell forever and ever after we die, after the Lord would come back. But the good news, of course, is that there's one way for one to be one to be accepted by God again. And the only way for us all to be accepted is to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and then we will be saved, Acts 16, 31. There's a Philippian jailer convicted about his sin, and he asked Paul, the apostle, what must I do to be saved or delivered? And he says, you must believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you could be here this, this, this day, and you never have believed in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins. The bad news would all be still true of you. You need to believe in Jesus. The moment that we believe in Jesus and we repent of our sins, the Spirit places us into the body, the church. And uh, that's the point that Paul make, Paul's making here. When does spirit baptism occur? At conversion. Third, and this is the last thing I want to say about spirit baptism, what false ideas about spiritual baptism must we reject? You know, one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to guard the flock of God. To try to help you process some of the things that you hear from time to time. So occasionally I'll have to talk about some false or erroneous views that you need to be looking out for. Because I tried to very clearly, what is spirit baptism? It's when the Holy Spirit places us in the body of the church that happens when we're saved. What are some false views? Well, uh, one false view is what many older Pentecostals claim about spiritual baptism. They believe that this text refers to only select believers upon uh, a second work of the Spirit. And uh, just to be transparent with you, I have a real soft spot in my heart for Pentecostals. Old line Pentecostals. That's my heritage. My great-grandfather and my great-grandmother were Pentecostal preachers, co-pastors, of Deliverance Tabernacle in Cherry Tree, Pennsylvania. And so this, this is my heritage. My aunt is a Pentecostal preacher. But many Pentecostals believe that they are baptized with the Spirit at a second climactic moment sometime after their conversion. This second work is of the Spirit, and it's when believers ascertain or develop the more miraculous gifts like tongues. So as you're looking down in your Bible, the way they explain verse 13 is the we all, of verse 13, look in your Bible, verse 13, 
for in one spirit, we, we were all, the we all, they describe as not as a reference to all Christians, only to those who have the special work of the spirit. It's not Paul and all the Corinthian believers. It's just like Paul and any of those who had the second work. This view was extremely common among, at the popular, popular level among Pentecostals, although uh, many of their leaders never really adopted it because they realized that, <laughs> just look at verse 13. We all, Paul and all the Corinthian believers. He's not doing something exclusive here. He's not saying there's like these different categories of believers. It's, no, it's, it's all of us. We've all been baptized in, into the body. As a matter of fact, many charismatics today reject this line of interpretation. They suggest that this text must refer to what happens at conversion, not post-conversion. Okay, and so this text, I think even the greater context, demands that Paul is talking about all believers. Remember at the very beginning of the text, uh, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we, you know, Paul's answering the question, who are the spiritual people? And his answer is, all Christians, anyone who professes that Jesus is Lord is of the Spirit. Okay, and so uh, we need to reject that view. The, uh, another, uh, one, one other view is important for us to mention here is the view of many Lutherans. Many Lutherans suggest that this act occurs at the moment of our baptism. So not when you're saved, you have faith in Jesus Christ, but when you're baptized. I'll read you uh, one Lutheran commentary. He said, uh, certainly, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 refers to Christian baptism with water in the triune name in which the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all the baptized people. Later on, this Lutheran theologian says, Paul has in mind here the sacrament of Christian baptism whereby a person is incorporated into the body of Christ. Okay, so one of the things you need to do is when you meet a Lutheran, you need to ask him, what do you believe about baptism? Because this Lutheran theologian basically is saying he believes someone is someone becomes a part of the church the moment they're baptized with water. Okay. However, I just want to suggest that we don't have a lot of time, right? I'm running out of time. Two verses. How in the world can you say too, so much about two verses, right? We don't have a lot of time, but I'll say I, I see no mention of water in this text. And I, I do have one PowerPoint slide I want to give you. I think to, to answer this idea or view... It's important to compare this verse to another verse in chapter 10. Okay, so if you look in your Bibles or on the slide here in chapter 10, there is a very parallel statement that Paul makes there. And the point I want to make about chapter 10 is he's not talking about water baptism there. He's talking about, he's using baptism as a metaphor or illustration. It's not about water baptism. So 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, they all, he's talking about Israel. They all were baptized into Moses. When I went through that in chapter 10, I said, it's not like there's a pool of Moses that people are getting dunked into or something. He's not describing water baptism here. He's using baptism as a metaphor to say they identified with Moses and his leadership. Okay, and now look at, look at the phrase in chapter 12 and verse 13. It's so parallel. We all, same word all, we're baptized, same word, into, same word, one body in the Spirit. And so basically I'm just saying that, you know, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul uses these words in this order, he's not talking about water baptism. 
he's talking about us being identified or placed into a, the body. He's using a metaphor, and he's not describing water baptism. He's describing the fact when we get converted, we're placed there uh, by the Spirit of God. So we're all baptized into the body of Christ at our conversion. And the we all here in, in verse 13 refers to all of us, despite our ethnic or economic backgrounds, we're all unified because in one spirit we've been baptized into one body. I won't take time, uh, much time on the last phrase, but you see the second way I think he makes the same point is at the end of verse 13, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Again, I think this is a metaphor. It's like God made us all drink the same drink, and the drink is the Spirit of God. Not that the Spirit of God is like a liquid or a substance or anything. But he's using a metaphor, a picture. We're all made to drink the same drink, and it was the Spirit. Here Paul again stresses the unity that all believers enjoy because of Jesus Christ. So in verses 12 and 13, the main point I think of these verses is Paul saying, We are many parts with many gifts, but we must function for the good of the whole church because we enjoy a profound unity. The Spirit of God makes us one. In in professional sports, it's amazing what people or, or teams will do because of the superficial unity that they... So they put on the same jerseys, or they work for the same owner, they get paychecks from the same team, and they all do their part, and they work together. All right, that's kind of a superficial unity that drives them to use their gifts and talents on the field. I think what Paul's doing in this text is he's saying, you understand we have a profound unity that was made. We're all of the one spirit. We all have been baptized by the spirit into one body, the body of Jesus Christ. We have all been made to drink the same spiritual drink, the the, the same drink, the spirit. And so I think Paul is really emphasizing the unity that we enjoy in Christ. As we close here, uh, the way I understand Paul here is I think he understands the profound unity, and I think he's emphasizing the unity that we have with this body illustration. Uh, He does acknowledge the differences and the diversity within the body. I think Paul recognizes and appreciates that not everyone in the church will look alike. Not everyone in the church will have the same gifts. Not everyone will come from the same background. I mean, I didn't have time to really talk about it. He says, you're not all Jews and Greeks. Or, you know, he saved you from Jews and Greeks. Okay, so we have different ethnic backgrounds. Slaves and free, different economic backgrounds and Differences, he talks about sociological differences within the Corinthian assembly. He recognizes those, but he emphasizes the unity that we have in the common life and the Spirit of God. And so as we close and we consider the Lord's table uh, this morning, our, our unity, brothers and sisters, in the Spirit, overrides our diversity and makes our diversity meaningful. Not every believer who joins Colonial Baptist Church will have the same skin color, the same employment status, 
or the same areas of giftedness. And that is more than fine. That's the way God designed it. That's God's plan for Colonial Baptist Church. God gives us diversity within a profound unity in Jesus Christ. The work of the Spirit of God. As we close, we'll make two final comments from this body illustration of verses 12 and 13. First, we can embrace diversity within our assembly because of the profound unity that we experience in the Spirit of God. We can embrace diversity within our assembly because of the profound unity that we have in the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter if someone comes from a lower social status or rung than you, economic status. Who cares? Embrace them. Run to embrace them in the body of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if they're rich. Yeah, well, I don't like, you know, rich people have, you know, kind of wronged me over the years. It doesn't matter. We have a profound unity in the spirit. We're one body. By one spirit, economic status doesn't matter. In other words, the unity that we have in the spirit completely overwhelms any diversity that would cause us not to embrace another person. So that's one statement I'll make. And then the last one is, second, not only can we embrace diversity, we must embrace diversity within the body if we're going to experience the full fruit of the joyous union that we have in the body of Christ. We must embrace it. That means that we need to be okay with the fact that not everyone who comes to church is going to look exactly like me. Not everyone who comes to the assembly will have the same gifts or value the same gifts that I have. We need to embrace that. Embrace that as assembly. You should not even have a moderate level of prejudice against any other person in the body of Jesus Christ. No private jokes. No sideways condescending glances at another person because they don't measure up for some reason or another. But we must fully embrace those who have been immersed in the body by the Spirit of God. Those who have been made to drink of the one Spirit of God. See, we have many members functioning within the one body that God created through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we get to rejoice in here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I invite you to just take a moment of quiet prayer there at your seats and prepare yourself for the Lord's table. If you find any bitter or harsh feelings against another member in the assembly, I would encourage you to repent of that. If necessary, go and talk with the person and get that right with them. The unity that the Spirit creates allows us to rejoice in the diversity of gifts and people that he places in the body. And it will enable us to enjoy the fruit that God would want us to enjoy in this assembly. Let's take a moment to pray.